0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy. And creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Dan. J.J. Incredible show today. Yes. Do you remember the first time you met Bob Goff? I do actually. I, I yep. want to hear the story.
1: <laughs> when I met him personally the first time, it was in San Diego, and it was at the Storyline Conference. Actually, oh, and, that's right.
0: Was he speaking? Uh, yeah, he was, he was
1: speaking. speaking there, and. I was standing up front and you and I were just chatting and all of a sudden Bob walks up and you go Bob do you know JJ and he goes no and he gives me a big <laughs> hug <laughs> and he just immediately like engulfs me because he's so much taller than me so yeah, he, yeah, he's like six he just four. wraps around his arms around me and just like hugged me and big smiles like how are you like kind of the most energetic most exciting greeting I've ever received in my life I, I, think I he's I know that he only does that with me <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't bet <laughs> I think
0: he's the closest I've seen to or known to Walt Disney. When people yeah. ask, you know, who is Bob or what's Bob like, Walt Disney's the, really one of the few characters that come mind. I don't think he's exactly like Walt Disney. Because yeah, Walt yeah. Disney was a pretty ferocious bottom line business guy also. Yeah. Along with being a people person and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But just this crazy wild imagination. I met him years ago kayaking about 50 miles from the nearest road. Out in British Columbia, there's a Young Life camp way at Malibu, Mm -hmm. way up in the Princess Louisa Inlet. And we stopped at the Young Life camp. We'd been packing about three days. We smelled horrible. (laughs) I think they even kicked us out of the camp. The nicest people in the world. One of my favorite organizations, Young Life. They were like, hey, we love you. You smell. Go away. Yeah. You're, 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 you're offending the guests. Yeah. <laughs> and, you're uh, scaring the children. That's exactly it. And saw Bob out there. The way people talked about him, I thought, this is the Great Gatsby. Yeah. I literally was like, <laughs> that man, he's like, I still see him. He's leaving on a boat, going through these rapids that are up there. Uh-huh. And he's leaving, and he's waving as he's, he's taking his boat through these tidal rapids back at us. And I thought, this guy's like the Great Gatsby. Well, I think it was the next day, we were kayaking around through those rapids and around the bend, and... He comes sauntering down the stairs outside of his lodge and says, are you guys hungry? Well, we've been eating cans of tuna fish for days. <laughs> and we said yes and paddled to his dock there. He's built a lodge right next to the Young Life Camp. Walked up, and there was just a spread of fruit that, as nice as anything you'd see at Whole Foods, but everything there had to be flown in. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not, like, I'm like, there's not <laughs> yeah. a Seven Eleven around yeah, here, yeah. right? I don't know where you're going And it was nine hours of incredible hospitality. And I fell in love with this guy. I knew I thought I might be writing about him. At the time, I was writing A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. I thought I might write a little bit of this guy's story because he's so interesting. Yeah. I called his office. He lives in San Diego. He was up there for the summer and said, I'd like to spend some time with you just to capture some stories. To be honest, I'm writing a book, and I'm not sure if you'll be in it or not, but I'd like to spend some time with you. Yeah. And he said, can you be in D.C. tomorrow? And I said, yes. And I got (laughs) off the phone and was like, how am I going to get to D.C.? (laughs) Flew to D.C. Oh, he said, bring a suit. I didn't know what we were doing. Uh-huh. Picked him up at the airport, and I realized it's like 1030 at night. I realized suddenly I don't know where I'm staying. <laughs> I don't have a hotel. And he's like, oh, that's okay. I have a house here. He has a house two blocks from the Supreme Court. And we walk in, and he's looking around this house like he's never seen it before. I'm like, have you ever been in this house? And he said, well, it's been redecorated. But essentially, no. But didn't Sweet Maria do a great job? I thought Sweet Maria was his interior designer. turns out <laughs> it's, it's his wife. It's actually both. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I said, so you have a house in D.C. Do you stay here often? He goes, oh, no, I never stay here. Why is it here? He goes, Don, He turns around, did you know that Republicans and Democrats do not get along? <laughs> I said, yeah, I do. I did. I, I heard did that it, on the news. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it. <laughs> and uh, he said, I bought this house so that Republican senators and Democratic senators, if they were willing to live here together, could stay for free. Because they all have to buy houses in D.C. And it's very expensive. And yeah. some people took him up on it. And he had Republicans, and Democrats living together. <laughs> this is the way this guy thinks. Yeah. And it went on from there. The next day, we met with African ambassadors. And, you know, that's <laughs> As a, you do. It's a whole other story. But that's the beginning of Bob Goff. If you, yeah. if you don't know, we can't get into it.
1: No, there's too many stories.
0: There is. But I'm going to be really honest with you. He's a paradox for me because he gets incredible things done and yet doesn't follow the rules of people who are productive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't focus his time. He doesn't plan. He doesn't know what he's doing two days from now. He does everything that I say, don't do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and
0: yet. But I've always wondered. I mean, even as close. Bob's one of my best friends. He yeah. was in my wedding and basically did our wedding. And I did his son's wedding. I mean, yes. I know this guy really well. But I've always wondered, I think you secretly plan. I think you get up at 2 a.m. <laughs> with a Franklin Covey planner. And you write down <laughs> these things. And like, How are you doing this? Yeah. And I've come to the conclusion that he does do a little bit of forethought. And I think yeah. he comes out a little bit in this interview. With a whole lot of whimsy. A whole lot of whimsy. But Bob knows well enough, hey, he's wired in such a way, he's going to do things this way, it's going to work. You got to figure out how it's going to do things your way, it's going to work. But I would say the bigger lessons I've gotten from Bob is never, ever, ever think something is impossible. Yeah. It's just crippling. Yeah. It's choosing to go through life with a handicap that doesn't exist. Yeah. And he doesn't do it. Anything can happen. Let's just go for it.
1: Now that you say that, I would honestly say that's probably the biggest thing that he's inspired in me. Yeah. Is... The amount of things he's been able to accomplish, like when you say, some people might think that that's an exaggeration where you're like, oh, that he built a place where world leaders can come and do peace treaties. Is that an exaggeration? No, that's actually true. And he has no rights to be able to do that, no position to be able to do that. And yet he does it. Yeah. You know, he creates situations to make the world a better place and he challenges others to do the same. Like when you're in his presence, you go, yeah, no, I'm supposed to make this world a better place. I have these dreams. They are possible.
0: They are. I remember it was just maybe two and a half years ago, I bought 15 acres outside of Nashville. Now, Story Brand was at the time a small workshop for businesses and those kinds of things. But because of my influence with Bob, I remember standing in the middle of this 15 acres going, okay, so that's where the barn will be. It will need a commercial kitchen because that's where we'll raise money for... Nonprofits. We're going to want to put an office on top, and they can put a fence around it. This place can be secured if armed guards need to be because a guest would be in the guest house because they might be running for senate or something, and we would yeah. meet with them here. And then I just remember thinking, why in the world do, do you I think, think that's this possible? way? Yeah, and it's because of Bob. Yep, because he just says no, no, no. Anything. Yep, let's just go. Anything. Yeah, I forget how much he actually affects my thinking. Yeah, in terms of. Just the absurdity and limitations that we put on ourselves that are, they don't exist. Yeah. We're obviously not going to jump off a building and fly. Yeah. But pretty much almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Anything yeah. else? Anyway, one of the men on this planet I love the most, certainly the most influential human being on my life, is Bob Goff. And I think I've just thought of him as such a close friend for so long I've never bothered to you know, get yeah. him on the podcast. Yeah. He's probably been going, does Miller not like me? He's got a podcast. Anyway, we finally have him on and he was coming off of an eight-hour lecture uh-huh. and was able to swing by our house and have a conversation. I'm so grateful. Here's my conversation with Bob Goff. Bob, thanks for joining us. You bet. We were just talking yesterday, right? And yeah. And you and I have known each other between 12 and 15 years. It's been a good long time. <laughs> it has been. I think we both looked very, very different. You are a New York Times bestselling author. Tomorrow, we're recording this a little earlier, but tomorrow your book, Everybody Always, comes out. A couple of months ago, it was number one on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah. Your life has changed. And you've gone from sort of business lawyer, Bob, to writer, speaker, Inspirational, Bob, walk us through
2: how that happened. Yeah, you know, probably like everyone listening, you start with one thing and that you're able to do. So I remember in college, I wanted to be like a youth leader Mm -hmm. and there's this great outfit that they said, like if you raise your support, you can like just be the youth leader. Well, I like raised all the support and said, so can I be one? And they said, no, (laughs) I guess they thought I wouldn't be very good with people. And so I went to law school And I got this degree in law and then just started doing things. I picked construction law. And it just takes forever to get that pig through the snake. So I just started trying construction cases in San Diego and then L.A. and then San Francisco and then Seattle. And actually moved my office to Seattle and commuted from San Diego for a quarter of a century. Why did you do that? I'm curious why. (laughs) Why did you do that for 25 years? They were just nicer people. (laughs) But I think what
0: I'm trying to get into is the mind of Bob, right? I'm trying to figure out, is Bob strategic... Or is Bob living in the moment and he's the most delightful Forrest Gump that's ever existed and things always just go well? Because, I mean, you've got a lawyer who builds – And when I say a lodge, I mean you dynamited the side of a mountain, built this gorgeous lodge up there. A lot of people look at that and say, boy, that was a lifetime of planning to do that. But you're not a lifetime planner guy. How much of it is strategic and in the moment? The reason I want to ask about the law firm going to Seattle is, was that strategic or really you just like the people in Seattle better so you decided to commute – a thousand miles.
2: Yeah, so it uh, comes across with this veneer of like whatever kind of that right, right, Forrest right. Gump thing, but it really it's like this planned spontaneity. Gotcha. That is there a these, philosophy
0: behind it? I guess. Yeah, is what you're the yeah.
2: idea that you could actually decide the life you want, and then you could live into that. Like, so if you're living in a job or a thing that isn't the person that you've become, like you're turning into, you can actually change that. And so instead of quarreling with people in Southern California, but I just said, I'm going to go up to Seattle because it rains up there like crazy. And for a construction lawyer, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so so it was kind of having a vision for your life.
0: And then when you saw something that looked like that, you would say yes to that. But you never really sat down and said, I'm going to move to Seattle, I remember I was in high school, I wrote down, I'm gonna live in Portland, Oregon, I'm gonna be a New York Times bestselling author, I'm gonna do these things. I remember
2: you said that. So when
0: I met you, I assumed, I projected all that on you. I thought, oh, but Bob probably sat down in high school, said I'm gonna be a lawyer, I'm gonna have a firm in Seattle, I'm gonna
2: build a lodge down by the Young Life camp that I used to love, blah, 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 none of that. No, what I did is I really wanted to be a good dad. And I wanted to be able to do these things for my kids. Like when they want to go to school, I wanted to be able to have them go to school. And so I was working at a great big law firm as a young lawyer and I became a partner at this law firm. There's 25 partners at this law firm. And when the kids were the size of trout, you know, you're just trying to keep them alive and fed right, yeah. and all that, but they grew up and they actually wanted to hang out. So I walked into this partner's meter and I tell these guys, I want to spend the next three months with my family. And they looked at me like I was wearing, you know, galoshes and an umbrella inside, And they said, you know, like we have this, sabbatical program after every 10 years you get four minutes off so <laughs> i didn't argue with them but on monday i wasn't there i came how back old were you three months later i bet i was 29 30 29 they're all older yeah and you... but i brought in all the cases so they had to make me a partner so they said no <laughs> and then you just didn't. i left anyway you left anyway oh they were so mad i'm like whatever sue me because if you needed dialysis you'd go get what you need you wouldn't mm-hmm. say, I've got this like meeting. And I think a lot of these, of us, and I will include myself, we're so busy providing for our family, we're not like providing for our family. What our families want is us with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for hard work, but we've found a cadence. And the place in Canada was part of that cadence.
0: We talked about this the other night, and forgive me for psychologically diagnosing you here. I'm really trying to figure out. You leave the law firm. You don't know if they're going to fire you. You don't know if you have a job when you get back. Is that right? Am I Correct. The truth? Yeah, yeah. There's something about you that I've known. I've known you for long enough. I think that you really have enough self-confidence in your own competence that if something bad happens, i.e. you get fired by the law firm, you'll figure it out then.
2: You're not a big fear guy. You're not a big worst-case scenario I should prepare for it. Is that true? Yeah, that's very true because I'm surrounded. You know, we either reflections of or reactions to right. the people who've been closest to us. And having been with a lot of people that are fearful, I just didn't see that paying big dividends in their life. Why aren't you afraid? I think I just, I'm compared to what? Like I've had a couple of bad days and I've had a couple of good days, but I'm not trying to keep track of which outnumbers the other, just trying to be fully present. And I'll tell you, it's again, that plan spontaneity. The people that help me organize things only tell me what I'm doing today, tomorrow, and the next day. That would be evidence as you're trying to figure out like just there's a guy who wants to live in the present because I've gone to a couple dinner parties, maybe you have, where the people are looking beyond you to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be present with whoever I'm present with. I don't want to be thinking about what I'm doing a week or a month. Is from
0: there now. a reason for that? Is there a strategic plan? That Did you read a book? I remember reading, oh, it was The Greatest Salesman Ever. Remember that book? Og Mandino, I think, wrote it. And I remember reading that. And it's all about... Loving people, caring about them. And I remember reading this. I never told you this. I remember reading this maybe 10 years ago, and I remember thinking, I bet you Bob read this in college because Bob does everything in this book.
2: Oh, interesting. I did. Is there any sort of. How did you become
0: Bob? How did you become this guy who wants to be in the moment and really pay attention to the person? Is there a strategy that you, were, you said, I can be really successful if I do this? Or did you just say, I want to do this because it's fun?
2: I think it's almost a theology of availability. Okay. Like that you could just be so available. You know, that first book that I wrote and I put my cell phone number on the last page of the book. <laughs> there's a million and a half people that have my cell phone number. I've gotten 40 calls today and I've been putting on a seminar and I took them. Like, so I know that sounds nuts, but that just to just be, I'm never the smartest guy in the room. There's but, a
0: person in the seminar that you're talking to and you get a phone call. This is the other thing I want to ask. And you take the call. Is that rude to the person that, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering,
2: the math sometimes doesn't add up. Yeah, because they're thinking this is the coolest thing ever because we talk at the beginning of the seminar. You told them like, who the calls were from. There's a lot of phone calls that I'm going to get. And I'd want to honor, I'm going to tell them they need to call back tonight. But I'm going to take 30 seconds because I want to validate them and let them know you're important enough that I take your call. And I don't think the person in row two is off put by that. And if they are, they can leave. (laughs) Something beautiful about just being available. And I think there's a people that have been available to me. You were available to me. Like you've just done things. I don't know if all these people know when we were putting together Love Does. When I would send you a chapter, if you liked it, you'd say finale. And they thought it was totally horrible, you'd say, Maria's gonna love this. (laughs) Just, we were really picky. What if we're the men and women that are really picky about what we say, but we're really generous with our time?
0: You know, there's a whole movement, especially, you know, with executives who are very busy and, you know, they have to strategically figure out how to use their time, who are saying, look, if I'm accessible all the time, I'm burned out. I have nothing for my wife at the end of the day. Yeah, what, do you, what do you
2: say to that person? It sounds like they've nailed it. It sounds like they've found out they something be that's excessive. terrific for them. So I would just say, instead of asking, how's that working for you? I would say, how is your life working for the people around you? So if I'm excessively available and it's not working for Sweet Maria Goff, then it ain't working for me. Right. And so we check in often about that. Like, how's this working for you? And while she's very shy and kind, and humble, she'd never do anything like that. She's told me a couple times, like, this actually isn't working for me. Um, Oh, she put a uh, help-wanted sign on your... She did. I pulled in (laughs) to the driveway of this house. The woman that has never raised her voice or said a crossword to me in the 35 years I've been loving her or the 33 she's been loving me back. (laughs) And she had this help-wanted sign. She wasn't saying she needed help. She was saying I needed help. Yeah. And she hasn't kept that sign hanging over my head like the sword of Damocles, but she still got it. Mm -hmm. And I told her that... Man, I just never hope you're at the place where you feel like you need to do that in front of people. We had a great gathering of people today and I told everybody there, I'm going to stop talking on weekends. I'm just going to spend it with my kids. This is this whole idea of a new creation. Like who's new Bob? I've spent 59 long years being old Bob, Mm -hmm. but new Bob, I met him like, you know, eight or 10 hours ago and we're just still getting acquainted and new Bob gets to make new rules. And my rules of that availability include that I'm going to be available on weekends to my family. I would say just keep changing it up. Instead yeah. of saying, like, this is the way I used to do it, I'm efficient in a different way than other people. I want to be efficient via availability. I'm not trying to be efficient in the way that I love people. I just want to be available to people in the hopes that it might change some things. And indeed, I've gotten a couple of calls I would have missed if I wasn't. Part of this I
0: know is wiring. I mean, you and I are actually different enough. You know, I'm more of an introvert. You're more of an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. I don't want people to think that, but I'm more of an introvert than probably you are. You're more of an extrovert. Knowing you and being a friend of yours has made me wrestle with something, and it's similar to something I used to wrestle with and got free from maybe three years ago. Having grown up poor, I always believed there was a scarcity of resources. And one day, I was standing in the backyard of this office, and we were trying to make a decision, a financial decision for the company. I mean, it was just very clear. There are not a scarcity of resources. There's an abundance of resources. Go. Make it happen. And I never look back. I'm looking for the same thing in my social life. Do you see what I'm getting at? I'm looking for, you know, Don, if you say yes to everybody today, you will not get that chapter written on that book. It will not happen. I'm looking for the paradigm shift If that's a lie. You can actually give a lot of time to people and sit down and finish the book. There's not a scarcity of social resources.
2: Is that true? (laughs) I think it is. uh, You you think so? I think it is. But I think it is for me. I don't know if it is for you.
0: You have to be strategic
2: Uh, about this. Yeah, but part of it, and I'm not a strategist in terms of like, I burned all the day timers a long time ago, but I have some really capable people around me that are very organized, and they're doing those things, but at my request, they only tell me today, tomorrow, and the next day. But, By choice, and yeah, that helps you live in the moment? That's an exercise mean, you're doing. It makes me 100% right here. I'm not thinking about tomorrow, I'm not thinking about what happened earlier today, I'm just right here. And I think that could be helpful to the leaders that are out there, to people, to know they're actually 100% with you. I think what we do sometimes is become in proximity to people, but we're not actually present. Mm -hmm. It looks like we're in the meeting, but we're actually worried about how the stocks are doing or the house or something. We've like won a lot of cases over 30 years. As a lawyer. Yeah, but those don't impact me as much as the people that have been available to me in my life, and I wanna be that guy.
0: You wanna be the, yeah, you wanna pay that back.
2: Yeah, and it's not like a debt that I feel like I owe. I just saw what happened in my life when people were available to me, and it changed everything. And they weren't the people that were writing the hottest books on the market. They were people that were just normal people that were, like, incredibly excessively available to so me. They time for you. Yeah. And so for the people, like, you just go, like, you hear this and you just go, like, Nah. That's not for me. That just, it would be workout. Well, heavens don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> If that's going to be a train wreck, don't do it. But for people that are feeling like they're operating with this fear that, well, if I'm generous with my time here, then I won't get actually to my big, important things. I've actually gotten to my big, important things. Yeah, I may have started an airline. I've started this. I'm not boasting about that, but I got time to do stuff and I can answer the phone. And I think it's because of a wiring harness that trends towards availability that these opportunities start finding you Mm. because people go like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Like he's the guy that like came in and was like happy and he like talked at this thing. And so while the weeks are very busy, I found a beauty and a cadence, but here's the deal. I found it not at the expense of my family because mm-hmm. I just decided I'm going to be home for supper. So all this running around. night Maria half the time doesn't know where I am, but when people ask her, where's Bob? She says he's on his way home. <laughs> 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 he's always am. I got a great way to test this with some of the people that are, might be listening and are, have a spouse and you're trying to sort this out. Write your resignation letter. Literally, resign. Give it to the person that you love the most. Address it, stamp it, and just say, if this job gets in the way of us, ah. if I just want you to mail it in. Give, give your, your sp-
0: spouse the ability to. Uh... Total veto power.
2: <laughs> and then they could, if they want to mail it in, they don't have to tell you. You'll find out.
0: <laughs> I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Bob Goff in just a moment. Listen, if you have a company and you have about 10 to 20 people that you need to get together into a room and all get on the same page, that is, really help each other understand this is why we exist, this is how we serve our customers, this is what is the most important, and here's how we're going to talk about our brand forevermore, then what you need is a private workshop. Story Brand sends out facilitators to teach private workshops in your building, the building of your choice, the place of your choice, so that your entire team together in one day and a half can clarify your message and also if you want wireframe a website, come up with a marketing plan that will allow you to move forward with that message. If that sounds good to you, if you think your company would be completely different after a private workshop than before, If you think people are too confused about what you offer right now and not on the same page, the Private Workshop will work. Go to storybrand.com slash private workshop. storybrand.com slash private workshop. Get your workshop on the calendar today. storybrand.com slash private workshop. I actually want to talk about cuz I've heard so many business stories from you. I don't think you have a business book. You're not thinking about one next, right? So this is the one place where you're going to get it. Bob Goff business advice. One story that you told a long time ago when you had a law firm, you would give everybody a one-year agreement. Yes. You would never give them any more than a one-year agreement. You would get down on one knee with a box of paper clips and you give them one paper clip and you would say do you agree to work for me for one more year? Yeah, will you practice
2: law with It was like a proposal. Will you practice law with me for one more year? Why? Why only one more year? Why did you wanna
0: just be able to have that kind of freedom, and
2: what was the philosophy behind that? There's a beautiful kind of zero budgeting that happens where you kind of just zero out the odometer, at the end of each year and so we went from january 1st to december 31st and then it was over i was out of work they were out of work and we could decide if we want to put this thing back together again i wouldn't call all the clients and say we no, folded no, no, no. the lock firm yet again but we've just said we're just going to start over again And it was a beautiful moment to talk to each person to say like what do you want I remember there was a young guy that was a paralegal and he'd been a paralegal for a bunch of years there and he had a family and said, what do you want next year? He says, I want to be a paralegal. I'm like, no, that isn't what you want. Like, what do you want? And he said, I want to be a lawyer. But he didn't have 300 grand to go to law school and he didn't have three years to burn on it. So we went to the state bar. We got permission to teach him law school. Isn't that awesome? That whole idea of like that, it's that spontaneous, Planning. It looks very spontaneous, and he passed the bar. It took us four years, he passed the bar. He was the valedictorian of his law school class. You got him a sweatshirt, right? Yes, it just said like, you know, Bob Law or something. I don't know. <laughs> but there's something beautiful about saying each year, maybe take the men and women that work around you and to say, Like I'm a big hugger. Like I just like love giving hugs to people, but I don't hug any of the people that work for me because I just want it to be creepy. I just like pat them on the head. Like I have one short moment with each person to say, how you doing? Like really, really. Instead of like blowing by people, it's like duck duck goose. It's really beautiful. They're like you have a reason why you do what you do. And I think for business leaders, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, then you're probably in pretty good shape. You had a law firm. You hired a bunch of
0: people. You have schools in Uganda, in Somalia. You're about to start a school in Afghanistan. Where else? You have a school in Iraq Iraq that i Gone and visited Nepal, with you,
2: India. What, I, I, I want to go to Nepal. With you. <laughs> that cracks me up. My worst subject in school was school, but <laughs> we did this book together. We just gave away all the money, and then we just started schools.
0: You've hired people at the law firm. You've hired people at the schools. You've hired people in San Diego.
2: What sort of person do you look for to hire? Oh, a person who will know what I want, so I don't have to tell them what to do. I interviewed 10 people for the last job that I filled. And at some point in each conversation, I said, you know, I've had the toughest time finding a two pound eggplant and I just moved on to whatever else I was talking about. Out of 10 people, one came back the next day from Trader Joe's. There's a guy standing at the office door, and inside the bag, there's a two-pound eggplant. <laughs> and I called the guy. I'm like, you're hired. You got the job. Because he was listening for what I wanted. Did you seed that? Was that intentional? Oh, yeah, yeah. On oh, yeah, purpose. you were trying to figure out who's going to bring you the eggplant. Who's going to get the eggplant? I didn't want a pound and a half. I didn't want a bunch of oranges. I wanted a two-pound eggplant, and I didn't ask them to go get it. And if they know what you want... They'll know what to do to get you what you want. Our COO, who also produces this podcast, he's writing down a two-pound eggplant on the application (laughs) uh, process. But wouldn't that be beautiful if there's a—it's not just trying to feign being folksy, but it could be have a very— like kind of low-key, beautiful, winsome work environment, but deadly serious, I mean, you try death penalty cases against witch doctors still. Like you can have some very- They have uh, to be competent. Yes, I want people that are at the top of their game. They don't need a bunch of instructions from me about what to do next. Yeah, I just want somebody who'll actually know what I want. So self-starters.
0: Yeah. Because you pop into the office once a month or so, because you're traveling all over the world. You need people who are who can
2: self-manage. Yes, I knew it was time to quit this law firm of mine because I actually quit things every Thursday. Every Thursday, I give one thing the boot. And I walked into my own law firm after whatever, 30 years, got everybody together, and I quit. I said, we're done. <laughs> They're like, with what? I'm like, all of this. Now, that's a bad financial decision, but it's an awesome decision like kind of next creation decision. I gave it away to a guy. I said, it's all yours. You don't owe me anything. That's what I want to do. I want to continue to say, who's the man that I'm turning into? So I've got an idea for your listeners. Take yourself, I'm 59. Mm -hmm. What I do is talk to Bob plus 10. So I think- When you're 69 years old. 69 year old Bob. What do you say to him? Tell me about that guy. I ask him more questions than I tell him stuff. I let this next version of me inform the current of me 10 years from now, I hope I have a bunch of nine-year-old grandchildren running around the house. So that informs what I do. I'm only scheduling things nine months in a day because I'm going to get one sonogram. I'll finish up what I said I'm doing. I'm out. Yeah. And so that's that plan spontaneity. Yeah. And so knowing what you want and then by the kind of backfilling into your life to say, what am I going to do now? And so I want to be with people now because I'm not going to be with anybody later. You were talking about quitting.
0: You talked about ending the law firm. This is a question we've asked a lot of people on this podcast. How do you fire somebody when it's the wrong person? Yes. I How always, do you let somebody go? I
2: always get somebody else to do it. I can't wait to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, could you talk to them and just break up for us? Yeah. One beautiful thing about ending the law firm every year is you didn't have to fire anybody because everybody's out. You just don't invite them back. You can run that by your HR department, but one beautiful thing by written agreement, it was dissolved. There's a theme here of of sort of living within chaos. I mean, you sort of are the eye of a storm in some ways. Maybe it's kind of a kinder chaos than they talk about CNN these days. But like that idea that, that's saying, I don't want to just get in this groove and just stay in that groove. I'm so curious about who I'm turning into. Because yeah. the beauty about being around the sun a couple times is you've seen enough things that you thought were fixed points actually weren't fixed points at all. What do you mean by that? Things that were like fixed points. You thought that the law firm was going to stay together. Ah, gotcha. yeah, you yeah. thought the economy was going to do this. These things that you were banking on, they actually kind of let you down. It turned out that you were betting on the wrong pony. And so there's something beautiful about just staying up on the balls of your feet and to say, who's the guy I'm turning into right now? Have that informed by somebody 10-year-olds from now, like the 10-year-old version of you. But also don't forget that childlike version of you. So sometimes we get so serious, we forget that childlike faith. Speaking to that childlike version of you, the other
0: way that if I had to explain Bob, it would be that Bob lives inside of a choose your own adventure novel. I mean, do you remember these when you were kids? I actually never oh, yeah. read them. I only found out when I was an adult. But if you want the guy to marry the girl, flip three chapters and read this part of the book. If you want this, you know, choose your own adventure. And it's the opposite of another theme that we've been talking about on the podcast lately, and that's binary thinking thinking there are really only two options about everything. If you want to go into politics, you either have to be a Republican or a Democrat. You either like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. You know, there's only two of everything. I think we've established on this podcast that really great leaders don't think that way. There aren't two options for everything. There's a million. Do you sort of see that your life that way, that... Uh, I don't have to keep this law firm forever. I can leave it and I can go be a best-selling author. And then when I can leave that and I can go do this or I can leave that and go to this.
2: Yeah, I agree 100%. Life is just a Cheesecake Factory menu. They wouldn't try cases against witch doctors in Uganda because everybody is afraid of the witch doctors until we tried the first death penalty case against a witch doctor and then Now people aren't afraid of witch doctors. But more than that— But they didn't do that
0: because—not that they were binary thinkers, but because that story had never been lived there, and they thought that story couldn't be lived there. So what I'm getting to is, what is it about you that went in and said, well, that's stupid. You could easily live that story. Let's do it, and six months later, that story has been lived. How do you have that
2: when a whole country didn't have that? Do you see what I'm asking? I think a lot of people are waiting for permission— Right. To do something, they're looking for validation from a father that wasn't there for them, or permission from somebody they look up to. And I think your life is all the permission you need. I think we just have, like, permission to do these things. They, <laughs> you know, they Uganda made me the consul general yes. for the country. <laughs> like, not something I was aiming for, but all these things that happened along the way and now I have diplomatic immunity, which is awesome. <laughs> like, so you could actually, instead of waiting for permission to do things, you could actually see your life as Like, see a need, meet a need. And to excel at business. Like, I didn't own an airline to lose money. I owned it because I really liked airplanes. I thought they were, like, terrific. I didn't start a law firm to be charitable, but I started thinking of my, what I do as a day job is fundraising. I just thought this is actually a beautiful thing. This so a lot of it I'm not smart enough to think of at the beginning, but I maybe along the way you just go like there could actually be something kind of beautiful that might come from this.
0: Started a law firm, became diplomatic consul from Uganda to the United States, which was a whole people think that you're the American consul to Uganda. Yeah, no you're way. the Ugandan consul <laughs> back to the America <laughs> which makes their As spin. a non-Ugandan, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, all of this speaks to a theme, and perhaps this is from an outside perspective. You might correct me on this of
2: fearlessness. Is that true of you? Oh, maybe play scared. So like we'll go right now. We're in the middle of planning the trip and getting visas into Kabul in Afghanistan. And there's not a lot of girls schools in Afghanistan. To explain a little bit, you're going there to start a girls school. Yes. Yeah. So we'll go there in May. I don't know how it'll turn out. I just assume terrific. You assume terrific, <laughs> under what possible circumstance, which part of Sharia law <laughs> is, is, is you're thinking this is going to go terrific?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that idea that underlies much of, I would say, this business ethic is to fail trying rather than fail watching. You're
0: reminding me of, I think it was like a Norman Vincent Peel book I read when I was in high school. Was it Norman Vincent Peel? It was somebody who said, look, if you're scared, imagine the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then figure out what you would do if that happened to get out of it. And usually when you do that, you're like, oh, this actually isn't going to be that bad, right? Let's pretend you start the airline. And, you know, nobody gets hurt, but you lose five airplanes and you owe the bank millions of dollars. And this is clear. This is not going to work. It has failed. Your greatest fear, even though I don't believe you had one, has come true. What's Bob's next move?
2: I'd say get busy. Get busy doing what? start the next
0: thing. You don't ever wake up and go, "My life is over. This is I've ruined everything."
2: Now I've had some days where there's certainly things haven't gone right. You, you've been in the house I got in DC. Oh, that's <laughs> that right, was a train wreck. Right. Yeah, yeah. So just nobody liked each other. So I thought I'd like get a place. Well, and I, have can I them tell go. the
0: story? I, when <laughs> you and I
2: first met, you said, "Meet me in DC."
0: I didn't know you. You said, "Meet me in DC." I met you in DC, picked you up from the airport, went to this house, beautiful house, wonderfully decorated. You're walking around. Looking at the decoration, I said, isn't this your house? And you said, yes, but I've never stayed here. And I said, why do you have a house in D.C.? You live in San Diego. You said, because... Republicans and Democrats don't like each other and so I wanted to buy a house where Republican Senators and Democratic Senators could live together <laughs> and that didn't work. Oh, <laughs> well, it's a train <laughs> Turns out right. they really don't like each other. Yeah,
2: but one of the things that I learned... So that was a failure though. So in that oh, failure... Yeah. okay, epic. But I'd never do that again but again, fail, try and... I teach a class at Pepperdine Law School. Can you imagine me teaching at a law school? Yes, I can. I'm like, everybody passes the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I teach a class on failure. I've been doing it for years and all I do every single week week is bringing my friends who've screwed up in front of earth. If you haven't messed up, you can't be my friend because we've got nothing in common. And so there's something beautiful about that to just saying you're not a winner because you won. You're not a loser because you lost. You're a participant because you tried.
0: Okay. When it comes to teaching classes and being a leader, you actually have a term that you use, and I heard you use it yesterday a few times, benevolent dictatorship. This is not for everybody, but you like this idea and you run
2: your organizations by being the benevolent dictator. Explain what that means. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of bad versions of that. Let me tell you the best version. It's another way of saying, I don't want to get wrapped around the axle building consensus Mm -hmm. because I want to build a kingdom, Hmm. but not a kingdom around Bob. I want to build this beautiful idea of love unleashed into the world. What could happen? And so I really believe in this idea that, you know, remember when you're a kid, they would say, keep your eyes on your own paper. Yeah, like I literally, I hear that from Sweet Maria Goff all the time. Like, keep your eyes on your own paper. You don't have to compare yourself to somebody Mm. else. You don't have to be anybody else. She and I couldn't be more different, but we're not trying to build consensus around things. We've just got this beautiful idea of what could happen in the life of our family, what can happen in the lives of some of these kids in other places. But I don't go around saying, "What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? How do you feel?" We don't make our decisions with this nonprofit I run that way. We see a need. We meet in meet, We decide where we're going. And I'm not going to have a lot of conversations. If somebody else wants to be the leader, they could go be the leader. They could go start their no- own nonprofit and just lead it. But once we decide the hill we're going up, then we're just going up that hill. Let's go make that happen. And I service what I sell. Like If it ends up being a bad hill, then I like, I'll write the check. Mm. But I don't want to have a ton of conversations wringing our hands about it because I've found that that was very good leadership. If we're trying a $100 million case, that actually isn't very helpful. And if we're trying to open a school in a country that doesn't want you to open schools there, that actually isn't that helpful either. I need people that know what we want and then they know what to do to get what we want.
0: Bob, I've known you for a long time. And as a writer, I'm always trying to figure out, I'm always trying to take chaos and put it into categories so the narrative can make sense in my brain. And the two things that I've learned from you since the day we met are one, life is incredibly beautiful. And two, you have, you know, psychologists would call it an internal locus of control. And by you, I mean everybody listening. We have an internal locus of control. We get to dictate, we get to decide what our narrative is going to be. And they actually go together. Life is beautiful. You're here on purpose. Do something with it. I think the third thing if there was a third is
2: failure ain't going to kill you. Failure ain't going to kill you. Yeah, that's just Tuesday. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and Wednesday's going to come. The sun is going to rise in yeah. the morning. There's something really beautiful about that in freeing for the people that labor. Sometimes we can get so wrapped around the axle with who we used to be that we don't see who we're becoming. Talk to that person, that guy or that gal that's 10 years older. They'll remind you who you are
0: well i'd like to go back and talk to the person i was 10 years ago right about the time i met you and just say you have no idea what this man is going how this man is going to influence your life and i just want to say as a friend i probably wouldn't be married without you i probably wouldn't own a company without you i wouldn't be building 15 beautiful acres with my wife and dreaming about all the stuff that we're dreaming about without you you've been one of the most important figures in my entire life and i want
2: to thank you Uh, publicly for that well that means a lot to me i really think like. It takes all of us together to make one really cool person. <laughs> yeah. yeah no kidding. But I, I just value having a friendship that's measured in decades. And uh, for the people that are listening, go cultivate a couple of those. Go find some of those friends that maybe that you've lost your way. And then ask them, who do you see me turning into? I so valued some time that we've had recently. Just a spitball. What does the future look like? How could we get there? How do we honor the relationships that we have on the, the way there? It was just really beautiful. And so I think God drops people into our lives to do that. I pray these big prayers and oftentimes what happens is God will send me a friend <laughs> and he <laughs> sent me you. <laughs> yeah. Bob, thank you so much. Thanks a million, doc
0: So there's Bob Goff. Nobody would believe it if he he didn't exist.
1: If there was a movie about his life, it's almost like Forrest Gump and the fact that, like, you know, Forrest just kept finding himself in situations over and changing people's lives and impacting history, Uh that's Bob. I mean, it's just like every scene— wanders into
0: place with a smile.
1: Every scene in his life is changing history and making a difference in people's lives, and he just kind of ends up there with a smile. I mean, it's more than just ends up there, but he ends up with a smile and a big hug and arms open wide for anybody who's around and changes people's lives.
0: He does. You know, one of the ways he changed my life— consider this a transition, he introduced me to a young woman named Allison Trowbridge.
1: Yes, Allie!
0: Allie is a dear friend. She's been a friend for many years. And Bob introduced us, I think in the the green room of some speaking thing, a uh-huh. conference that we were at. And she's been a friend ever since. And Allie has written a couple of books. She ghost wrote a book for somebody else. Then she wrote her own book. Yeah. And then I was shocked to learn Actually, not that shocked. I got an email maybe two years ago It said, Don, I'm off to Oxford. Yeah. <laughs> she's in her mid to late 20s, and yeah. she's going off to Oxford. She got her MBA yeah. from Oxford. And I mean, the whole time she was there, I'm like, I want her for StoryBrand. I want her for StoryBrand. Yeah. We've got to get her somehow. And I was amazed when I pitched her, will you be our correspondent? I was amazed that she was willing to do it. In fact, her very first interview is with a guy named Steve Cochran, her favorite professor. Yeah, And he's going to talk about... Myers-Briggs and how he uses it to kind of keep the peace amongst his staff and understand business a little bit better. But that's just one of the few people that she's interviewed.
1: Yeah. yeah. Can we just play a little clip? I got to hear an interview that she did with somebody who, I won't drop the name this moment, but you will hear very quickly who they are in this. This is one of my favorite clips from any interview ever. Can we just play that real quick? Oh, question. How
3: would you like me addressing you on the show? Because I always call you Sarah, but would you rather I call you Duchess? Well, I think, um, Alison, you can address me whichever way you wish. Okay. I, I, my name is Sarah, and uh, I was married to a prince and became the Duchess of York. And a lot of my friends call me Dutch, or Dutchy Doodle. I like Dutchy. You, you like Dutchy? I like it. Could you? I, I'm quite happy to be called Dutchy. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, I used to call Diana Dutch.
0: Dutchy so Dutchy <laughs> Can I call you Dutchy With the royal wedding coming up.
1: Yeah, that she's, interview is coming after the royal wedding. So and She did that. She did that interview
0: at like the royal hunting lodge yeah, yeah. or something like that. But
1: we're holding that off. At, that's going to be in connection with after the royal wedding. We're going to have that interview. So yeah, be ready Allie, for that. But this one is pretty exciting.
0: This is pretty um, good, too. I want to play a clip from this one as well. This is actually next week's interview. Allie is handling it for us. And, you know, you're going, oh, just wait. You'll never want to hear my interviews again. (laughs) Here's Allie with Steve Cockrum. Can you walk me through that high-support, high-challenge sure. kind of matrix
3: that you mentioned? So, you know, you're going to have to use your conceptual thinking, which for you be I know, be I love difficult. pictures. I wish, I wish we could have a picture. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, we'll send one. But if okay. you think of a classic matrix with two axes, and you imagine um, up and down, you've got basically high support at the top, low support at the bottom, and then on the other axis, the x-axis, you've got high-challenge and high and low-challenge. And what we're saying is, if you can create a culture where high support and high challenge are calibrated well, you create what we call a liberating culture of opportunity and empowerment. However, if you are a culture which is very high on challenge, but low on support, you create what we call a dominating culture. Mm. And that usually feels like fear and manipulation because people are always fearful of not delivering for you. And so, you know, the classic corporate is, well, you're only as good as last quarter's results support is earned through performance and the leader who is always driving for challenge and results often ends up whenever they're trying to be nice to somebody they go well what do you want because you're never nice to me unless you want something so it always feels slightly manipulative mm. in that process so
0: pay attention next week you definitely want to download the first episode of the building Story podcast where ali trowbridge is our correspondent. She did a terrific interview, and we're so grateful to have her on board. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.